0: The following is a collection of letters sent from the Western Front to family in England. I came across them at a boot sale some 15 years ago, had them safely stored away ever since. The title I've given the podcast is taken from a short note written across the top of the first page, copy of letters from Harry at the Front. There are eight letters in the collection, six written by a soldier named Harry uh, Ducanfield-Jones, and two by others writing about Harry. Sometime during or soon after the war, a family member typed them up to be kept as a cherished part of the family history. Some are damaged in places with small sections missing, and all originally had been censored to remove uh, sensitive information that might have been of use to the enemy should they fall into the wrong hands. Where a word is missing due to being censored, I will simply say blank. The letters cover a period of five months from January 17th to June 18th, 1915, so very early in the war. In them, we get a brief yet rich window into the life of a soldier serving at the Western Front. We hear descriptions of the conditions they were living in, their day-to-day routines, the importance of receiving mail from home, and the excitement over getting dry socks. A rich source of history, the letters make for fascinating reading. I hope you enjoy. January 17, 1915. My dear Fanny, I've been trying to find time to write to you ever since leaving Rouen, but have not been successful so far. We left Rouen about 5 p.m. last Monday, arriving at our destination, which we will call B at 9.30 the next morning. I never spent a more uncomfortable night than that night in the train, packed as we were, 55 in a horse truck, with no possibility of lying down. It is amusing to see written up on the van's homes, 3640. I don't know how many horses they could get in Broadway's on, We spent one night at B, and the next day had a terrible march of 8 miles in pouring rain to K, or what is known as the close billet, one and a half miles from the firing line, where we stop during the four days we are in the trenches. We go in two companies at a time for 24 hours, so during those four days in close billets, each company has 48 hours in the trenches. Of course, in the other days, there are always plenty of fatigues going. After the four days in close builds, we move about three miles back to a small village, L, where we have four days' rest, so that you are actually in the trenches 48 hours a week, which is as much as men can stand. I'm riding from L now, having marched back last night. We join the 1st Battalion now and shall go into the trenches with them after four days. Blank is actually under shell fire, and we hear the German shells screaming over and dropping on the hillside about half a mile behind the village trying to silence our guns, which are pounding away all day long. one gets quite used to the firing, and I've only heard a few men complain that it gets on their nerves. This village, blank, is one that the Germans have been through, and one out of every ten houses is in ruins from shellfire. Almost the only things to be got in the village are coffee and bread, and those inhabitants who are still there are doing a roaring trade with us in that line. It is extraordinary how safe one feels out here in the middle of everything. A hundred times more than you imagine at home. People say that it is only through recklessness, carelessness, or pure bad luck that anyone gets picked off. Hurrah! I have just had your first two packets of socks and the first news I have had since leaving. I had a letter from Aunt Lucy yesterday, addressed by you. One from Aunt Edith, and a card from Miss Herder. Please thank everyone for all their letters and tell them that I can't write myself as we are only allowed to write once a week now which will, of course, be home. We are allowed to send those field postcards, but cannot get any until we are drafted onto the main lot. Please thank Dorothy very much for the socks. I've just put them on and find them very comfortable. They're all the better thick as they fill up the boot better and make a softer pad for walking on. I was in despair at not having received any till today, so I've been wearing my last pair till they were like a board with the wet and consequently I've had an awful blister on my heel. It was a paradise to get a clean dry pair on. It seemed like Christmas Day today. Everyone in good spirits with their letters and parcels from home. By the way, you might number your letters in future so that I know how many have missed. I hope you are receiving mine. I will number this one and so on in the future. By the way, how is it that you are not back at the hospital? Thank you all ever so much for the socks. P.S. Your two letters I received are dated 7th and 9th have had no others. Monday the 18th. I finished this too late to post last night, so I'm adding some today. It's turned much colder and has been snowing heavily off and on since early morning. The whole county is now under snow, but of a very wet nature, and the slush is all the more appalling. By the way, I wish you would send me out punch every week. It would be a perfect godsend, as we get nothing to read here except stale papers. In fact, we hear hardly any news of what is going on elsewhere. You might also send me some sort of writing block or pad and envelopes. Nothing large. I believe there are all sorts of things to be had, especially designed for soldiers. By the way, I don't believe I told you that I found Kenneth Powell when we joined up with the others. He had a very bad throat and could not speak above a whisper. But he'd been perfectly fit, he says, up till then. 25th January, 1915. Here we are again on our four days rest in the village three miles back. I was in the trenches yesterday for the first time. We went in at blank and were relieved at blank yesterday. After which we marched back here and pretty dead we were at the end of it. It seemed like paradise to lie down on a stone floor and we slept like tops all night. We had awful billets this time during our four days up on the roof of an old barn with half the tiles off, huge holes everywhere letting in rain and wind. You're not even allowed to take your boots off during the four days in those billets, so you get very little sleep, uh, what with the cold and all the other discomforts. On the days when we are not actually in the trenches, we have to go up after dark, carrying sandbags, coke, etc. up to the trenches. Very hard work it is, splashing through about two miles of liquid mud, sometimes up to your knees, with bullets whizzing about in all directions. Being in the trenches is no joke, though we were lucky enough to get a fairly dry one, but the cold was awful and we kept huddled together in the dugout as much as possible. This is the most awful kind of warfare. There's no thrill about it. You sneak up to the trenches in the dark like blank and sit in the cold and dreariness being potted at all round from an unseen enemy. They were putting their shells very near us yesterday and the mud they, they kicked up came splashing down all over us. You can't think how we relish these four days rest. when We can at least chuck ourselves down on the floor and get a bit of sleep. Though even here there are plenty of fatigues to do and you never know when you are going to be disturbed to do a guard or something equally annoying. I'm feeling as fit as can be expected. Of course, nearly everyone has colds, but i thought nothing of. I've nearly got rid of a hacking cough I had for a week or so. Please thank Mr. Wicksteed very much for the book, which I shall value immensely. Explain to him that we are only allowed to write letters once a week, which of course must be home. Also, please thank Aunt Emily for her letter and say that I should love to get some illustrated papers as she suggested. We hear no news of any kind, and you can imagine what a joy it is to get papers from home. Also, please thank Nancy and Dorothy for their socks and letters, and say that the former are a perfect godsend. They fit beautifully. Please tell everyone that we love getting letters, but explain that as we can only write once a week, replies can only be scarce. Your letters seem to be coming through splendidly now, and I got them all eventually. Don't alter the address whatsoever you do. I should probably never get the letters if you address them to headquarters. I hope you're getting my letters all right. I try and send off a field postcard every day during our stay here, um, but of course cannot do even that when we are up at the firing line. The box of things arrived in splendid condition. The cigarettes and tobacco were well chosen, just what I like. You needn't send any more backy as it is supplied now as uh, army rations, but the cigarettes are awful as a rule. So a small packet from home occasionally would be most acceptable. Your last pair of socks has not arrived yet, but I expect it will come either today or tomorrow. 28th January 1915 to February 2nd. We are not asked to make our letters too long because of censoring them, so I think the best way is to write in the form of a brief diary and send it to you when I get back to our four days rest. January 28th. Did an hour's billet guard from 11 to 12 at night. Very cold and frosty. Cleared up in the morning, preparatory to moving off to the close billets in the afternoon. Was on baggage fatigue after dinner, moving stores from the quarter block's storeroom to the square outside the church. Moved off at 5.15pm and arrived at the close billets after a very pleasant march along the frosty roads with a brilliant moon. Our company were lucky enough to get a very comfy billet this time in the chapel of the schools. Someone is storming Bach. On the harmonium, while others are having whatever supper they happen to have with them, or smoking and yarning away, perfectly oblivious to the music of Bach. Sketchy though it is. It is a funny life listening to Bach one moment and the next marching to the trenches, the sound of the bullets whistling around. Bow wow. I'm going to turn in now, 9 p.m. January 29th. Did nothing till 5 p.m. when we paraded for the trenches. I went into a separate trench with six men and a corporal as listening patrol. We stopped there for the night and came up to the front line trenches at daybreak. January 30th. Very cold in the trenches where I'm writing now. Frost and snow. Nothing doing. We sit still and eat all day and watch the, the German shells bursting. we relieved about 6 to 6.30 p.m. We're glad to get back to the billets and have a good night's rest. January 31st. Had to parade in full marching order at 6.30 a.m. to be ready in case of attack. We stood by till daylight but were not wanted. Spent the morning cleaning rifle, bayonet, etc. Incidentally cut my thumb open, opening a jam tin for breakfast, which causes much inconvenience for the morning's work. There's a driving east wind with snow, but it's just on the thaw. I've just been speaking to Mr. Stone, who I think I told you has got a commission and is one of the number three company's officers. He's an awfully good sort and would do anything for our comfort. He plays footer for the priory and knows all the Thompsons. Isn't it funny? He's quite a nice chap. We went on a fatigue to the trenches in the evening carrying empty sandbags. Lovely moonlit, moonlit evening. February 1st. On sanitary fatigue all day bearing rubbish. Had a lovely wash under the pump in the sunshine. We marched back for our four days' rest in the evening. Have got a rotten billet in the old barn this time. February 2nd. Went on a fatigue before breakfast, digging holes for rubbish. Had a slack day seeing friends, drinking coffee and eating all day. I've never felt fitter in my life than I have felt the last few days. I've not been really fit till now, and by Jove, what a difference it makes. I'm enjoying myself as much as anyone now. This life is alright when you're fit, but awful when you're not. The last day I was in the trenches, I had a lovely doze with the sun blazing down on us. We play cards, eat, and yarn all day in the trenches when it is fine, and in fact have quite a good time. By the way, it's quite the thing to get parcels of foodstuff sent out, and I will give you a list of things that are most acceptable. Although we are well fed, there is not much variety, and a few delicacies are much appreciated. Cake of any description. Biscuits, cocoa, specially prepared with milk and paste, I believe. Bivouac cocoa and milk. This is invaluable in the trenches. Potted meats, condensed milk, camp pies. The following. Jams, honey, marmalade, strawberry... Almonds and raisins, dates, etc., toffee, caramels, peppermints, any other kinds of sweets, Horlicks malted milk tablets, ginger, sausages, starboard lights, any other kind of things you think would do. These are just some suggestions. We have great feeds when we get back here with the contents of parcels from home. If you're too busy to make up a parcel, perhaps you could get Adams or somebody to send one out. Other things I'm in need of are a couple of pairs of loofah socks for boots, size 8. Half a dozen good strong bootlaces, a tube of toothpaste. The writing pad has arrived. Also, punch a number 12 letter. Many thanks to them all, and please thank Father for his letter. I really must stop now, or the sergeants who have have to read this letter will curse me. P.S. You needn't put draft on my letters anymore, as we are joined up with the 1st Battalion now. 21st February, 1915. I've just received Father's letter telling me of your sad plight. What have you been, been and gone and done it for? It is rotten luck, and I'm awfully sorry for you. You must take great care of yourself and get all right as quickly as possible. I shall have to be content, as father says, with a smaller mailbag for the time being. I can't tell you very much news except that we have had a very hard time in the trenches this time, owing to the frightful weather. Going up the other night, I fell into a ditch. I had a little swim, and and on getting out, found I had lost my rifle. However, I discovered it on the bank, half buried in the mud. It was not a pleasant experience, sitting in my wet things for 24 hours during the whole of time it poured with rain and snow. The fact that we were very heavily shelled during the day did not add to our comfort. However, we are most of us none the worse for our experience. I'm afraid I cannot go into details because of the censor. Otherwise, I might tell you one or two interesting in- incidents. But you must wait till I get home to tell you everything. You have heard by now of the terribly sad death of Kenneth Powell. It's too awful to think of that fine fellow cut off in the prime of his life. I was talking to him only the other day before his death, and I never saw him looking fitter. He was just going to take a commission. I don't know what in. There was no one in the regiment who won greater admiration, or who was better loved by all who knew him. He was always ready to do his share, and more than his share of work, without a grumble. He was shot by a stray bullet while on a fatigue, carrying things up to the trenches. The bullet went through his arm and entered his stomach, he died on his way to the hospital. I've just been to see his grave in the churchyard here, marked like all the others with a plain wooden cross, with the inscription, Private Kenneth Powell killed in action, February 13th, 15. Well, it is all in the fortunes of war, and is no good being morbid about it. As a matter of fact, we get extraordinarily callous out here. I'm at present wearing a pair of boots belonging to a man in our company who died of shock during the shelling the other day. He was the only man who died, though we were about 15 wounded with shrapnel. Of course, in comparison to the number of men in the trenches, this is a very small percentage. It was nice seeing Clyde the other day. He looked very fit and he was telling me all about his Canadian trip and his stay with Frank and Mona. Willie is coming out here shortly in the blank, so I hope to see him before long. I've just had a long letter from Mary. She has been down with flu, but is recovering now. Yours and Mrs. Mack's socks have just arrived. Also various newspapers, etc., for which many thanks. The parcel of foodstuffs was grand. We did enjoy the cocoa in the trenches, and much looking forward to the next parcel. I find Horlick's malted Milk excellent stuff on all sorts of occasions. Well, I must stop now, for this will not go off. Mr. Stone has just been in to see for the letters. Letter dated 3rd March, 1915. Dear Father, I hope you've got my last letter by now. Please don't worry if you don't get my letters regularly. It is quite likely that now that things are beginning to make a move, the transports, etc. will not be able to keep going quite smoothly, owing to all the pressure. It is marvelous to see all the troops that are passing this way daily in preparation for the general advance. We are still here on our rest and return to the trenches tomorrow. The weather has improved during the last few days and the wind we have had ought to have done something towards drying up the mud. This has been the nicest rest that we have had so far. We are built in a little cottage inhabited by an old man and his wife and son, who is a tailor. We have the use of their front room with a fire where we can sit and read and write letters. I'm actually writing this at a table, a rare luxury for us. The contents of my last parcel are being much appreciated. We are going to have a camp pie for dinner today. By the by, you might send me out one of those unbreakable pocket shaving mirrors. I think they call them the soldiers and sailors mirror polished nickel or something of that sort are the very thing for this life. This is not half a bad little place and you can get quite a lot in the way of comforts etc if you look for it, even hot baths. I'm going to have one tonight at a steam laundry run by the nuns of a convent now used as a field hospital. You have your bath in the great concrete tanks that the clothes are washed in after the work is finished at half past eight. It is ripping to feel clean if only for a few hours We can get our own clothes washed regularly, too, but we have to take the risk of leaving them behind if we should happen to be moved somewhere else while they are at the wash. Of course, we are always hearing wild rumours as to where we are going to be sent to and what is going to be done with us, but no one knows from one day to another. We've had no close fighting yet in the way of attacks or anything of that sort, but we are quite likely to get some before we have finished. I, for one, am not pining for any bayonet scuffles, but I hope I shall get mine in first if we do have one. In the way of recreations, we have football matches and concerts during rest. The concerts consist almost entirely of comic songs. As nobody carries his repertoire about with him, can only sing what he happens to remember, there's not much variety. But that does not matter, and the songs gradually become old favourites. By the way, I should like to see the account of Kenneth Powell in the Surrey Mirror. You might send it when you get this. That damn Daily Mirror sketch, I forget which, published an entirely wrong report of his death in which it said that he was shot in the throat and died instantaneously. It is wicked the way these papers will publish anything, regardless of its authenticity. We've just heard a rumor of a big Russian victory on a larger scale than any yet. They say that the Germans, instead of converging back, have been scattered and to retreat in open order, so to speak. I shall be glad if it is true, but I have lost faith in those damned Russian victories. There have been too many. Personally, I'm feeling very cheerful about things. Not that I know anything more than you or anyone knows, but it gives one confidence to see all these thousands of troops coming through. Old French knows what he is about. The news of Constantinople is good, but I can't see how it is going to affect the war, except that we shall not have to bother about the Turks anymore. I've just been turned away from the table as the old man and his wife want to have their dinner on it. So goodbye for present. Letter dated April 18th, 1915. Received April 21st. My dear Fanny... I'm writing this sitting on a crate in a very muddy yard, the only place we can get to today where there is any sun, as we are standing by and are not allowed to leave our billets. This is our second day of rest, four days, or so-called rest, as we have to go up to the trenches nearly every night, either digging trenches or carrying things up. As it is three miles from the trenches, you can imagine how tired we are after carrying heavy loads such as barbed wire, corrugated iron planks, etc., all that distance, in any weather, and over all kinds of obstacles such as ditches, hedges, shell holes, etc. Sometimes not getting back till dawn. The other night we left here at seven p.m., got to the trenches at nine p.m., dug trenches in heavy ground till two thirty AM without a stop, got back here at four thirty AM in daylight. It seems to suit me anyhow, for I never felt better in my life. It is a discomfort and filth that get so monotonous after a time. We absolutely long for a comfortable bed, a fire to dry our things by, a good sit-down meal, and, above all, facilities for keeping clothes and body clean. You have no idea what the filth and smells are like and what the summer will bring bring forth in the respect is awful to contemplate. I'm trying all sorts of remedies for lice. As soon as I've found the most effective one, I will get you to send it out at regular intervals. At present, I am wearing a little bag of flour of sulfur, which seems to be fairly good, and I got some good sleep this morning. The Stuff you sent out kept the beasts off me for a day, but I don't think it it is strong enough to kill them. I should like a new set of clothes, as mine are getting rather vile now, with none too good a washing, and not too often. I've worn this last set for over a month now, without a change, as the washing facilities are very bad here. Isn't it disgusting to think of? I threw my last shirt away yesterday, uh, so full of lice and eggs, and at present uh, wearing none. We're sadly dwindling down in numbers now, as so many go down sick with all this hard work. A great friend of mine went down to one of the bases yesterday, and it seems rotten here without him. I see Clive occasionally. His regiment relieves ours. And the other night, while I was taking a wounded man to the dressing station, suddenly heard his voice giving orders to his men. It seemed quite uncanny. Willie is also out here, but I have not seen him yet. He was in the trenches next to ours the other day. So long. 25th April. My dear Fanny, many thanks for the clothing and tin opener just arrived. I suspect there will be a letter coming along, but they have not been distributed yet. We arrived back from the trenches last night after four days on end in the trenches, but fortunately without a drop of rain, so it was not so bad. Things are livening up tremendously now. All those things you read about in the papers as taking place we can hear going on. The big guns are going hard and the roar of the bombardments is pretty frequent now. We know something of the meaning of taking a trench as you read of it in the papers, though we have not had to do so ourselves yet. Nevertheless, things are very busy now and everyone is on the alert. Events are daily taking place around here which will become famous when they are known afterwards. I have great hopes myself that something of a decisive nature will occur during the next few weeks, If the Germans are going to achieve anything, they'll have to do it now or never. I don't see how they can go on hurling their thousands against us, only to be slain in masses while every day our positions are getting stronger and stronger. I don't know more than you do, but I can't help feeling very hopeful myself. We're getting very fed up with this trench work, and shall all of us be glad when it is over. I've quite got rid of my close enemies for the present with blue ointment. Will you send me a small tin of it, say once a fortnight, I find out how long it lasts. I think it is mercuric ointment but any chemist will know what you mean by blue ointment. I've just seen Willie Gaskell who is a lieutenant in one of the regiments in our brigade. He's looking very fit and cheery. Ross I believe has been in some hard fighting round here but I've not heard of him lately. I hope he got through all right. Clive is very fit, isn't it funny? our all being so near each other? It is awful to see all the villages ruin of the villages and the country round by the shells and the fires they cause. There are glares from fires all round the horizon at night. It is a sight to see the flashes from the guns to hear the war when there is a bombardment. It not look if we or the Germans are short of ammunition yet. All this firing gets on one's nerves after a time. You long to get right away somewhere for a day or two out of sight and sound of the guns. It is said that the Germans fired 300 shells into a certain town not far from here the other day. Come to consider that each shell costs somewhere around a 1,000 pound. I think I am right. You can get some idea of the cost. They seem to regard human life in the same callous way. They lost 3,000 men in attacking our position the other day. They certainly are the most marvelous fighters. large part of the rest of the letter is missing. He points out that that they too have some jolly good chaps. And given the opportunity, they believe they could take the uh, German trenches. And they expect to do very well. He finishes by saying that he envies those at home. Letter from Mr. Stone at the front. 17th June 1915. Dear Mr. Jones. I deeply regret to inform you that your son H.D. Jones was killed in action on the 16th instant at about 4 a.m. We were taking part in an attack. Our company had just advanced into the front German trench, which had been taken. And as we were reversing the parapet, your son got a bullet through his mouth, instantaneously killing him. I think it was from a machine gun they turned on us, to us. I know this will be a terrible shock to you as you were hoping to see him home soon with the commission. I'm terribly sorry to lose him as he was such a good fellow, always so cheerful. He was always ready to do anything that was wanted and to do it well. He was one of many others, I'm afraid, whom we lost on that day and the following day. We buried him behind the trench without any chance of proper ceremony as we had great difficulty in getting the wounded away. However, he died a soldier's death as a soldier's grave. I will try and find out where the spot was at the part of the line was quite new to us. All I can say is that it was a little to the west of the chateau at Houge. His section commander will be writing to you also, I think. I'm very sorry to have to give you such bad news. May God give you all comfort and strength to endure the great loss and grant your son everlasting life. Believe me, it was very sincerely William A. Stone, 2nd Lieutenant, H.A.C. Letter from Corporal T.H. Fowler at the front, 18th June 1915. Number three camp. My dear sir, I'm sure I need to make no apologies for writing this letter to express my deepest sorrow at the loss of your son. Since last October, I've been in the same section and for the last four months I've been with his section commander. I was next to him when he was killed. The only consolation is, I know what a small one it is, that he did not suffer, death being instantaneous. I cannot possibly explain to you how we all admired and loved him. During these six months he was absolutely splendid. He never complained and did more than his share. As you must know, we have been through terrible hardships. He bore them all so cheerfully and met his death doing his duty to the last." It seemed so sad as he was hoping to go home with his commission. Our section was terribly cut up. I do think he was happy out here. We all pulled together so well. He was always so good-tempered and big-hearted. The whole regiment was so fond of him. I feel it terribly as I shall always reckon him one of my staunchest friends. We were both at Lansing College, though I was senior to him. We hope to put up a cross on his grave at the first opportunity. If I can possibly manage it, I will get a photo of it. We had nearly 200 casualties in the regiment yesterday. I enclosed the money I found in his pocket, also a few photos, etc. If there's anything I can do to help you in your great sorrow, please do not fail to let me know. I'm afraid this is a poor letter fails to express what I really feel. I can only again express my deepest sympathy. A powerful and moving end to the letters. Unfortunately, the story the letters tell is an all-too-familiar part of War in the Trenches, the fate that awaited thousands of soldiers who gave their lives during the Great War. I hope you have found the podcast of interest. I will be doing further readings of a wide range of primary sources, as well as lecture series on a variety of historical topics. If interested, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or sign up to the Explore History newsletter at explorehistory.co.uk.